Hi everyone, welcome to episode 55 of SAMA. SAMA is a program where we invite an, area, an expert to talk about their area of expertise. This week we're so lucky to have Stephanie Seneff back with us. She's going to talk to us about the health dangers of Roundup, which is glyphosate, a herbicide which is used in agriculture. Stephanie Sniff is a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. She received the BS degree in biophysics in 1968, the MS and EE degrees in electrical engineering in 1980, and the PhD degree in electrical engineering and computer science in 1985, all from MIT. In recent years, Dr. Seneff has focused her research interests back towards biology. She is concentrating mainly on the relationship between nutrition and health. Since 2011, she has published over 30 papers, together with colleagues in various peer-reviewed medical and health-related journals on topics such as modern-day diseases, such as Alzheimer's, autism, cardiovascular diseases, analysis and search of databases of drug side effects using NLP techniques, the impact of nutritional deficiencies and environmental toxins on human health. And today's summer is on a very, very bad environmental toxin, which is used regularly in agriculture. And that, of course, is glyphosate. So welcome, Stephanie, to this week's episode. Thank you so much for having me again. So where to start? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a big subject, isn't it? It certainly is. It gets bigger for me every day because every day I learn new things about glyphosate and the ways that it could be poisoning us. It's truly remarkable. It's a remarkable poison. And the thing that um, is so frightening is that it is pervasive. It's everywhere. It's in the rain. It's in the food. It's in the water. It's in the tampons. It's in the cotton clothing. You know, it's just everywhere. You can't avoid it. And it's been considered to be so safe for humans that the government doesn't even bother to find out how much there is. And people, you know, advocacy groups are looking and finding high levels in things like non-GMO Cheerios and Oreo cookies and goldfish crackers, things that children love to eat. So the children are being poisoned every day by their food. And it's frightening to me. It's very frightening. So how does it find its way in so many areas? Like rainwater, how on earth does it get in the rain? I mean, it must get taken up into the atmosphere because they spray it, you know, from the airplane over the field. And it just goes out and goes everywhere. It goes up as well as going down. It just gets up into the sky comes back as rain. Does it degrade over time? Does it become safe after? Well, of course, Monsanto says it's a wonderful chemical. First of all, it's non-toxic to humans. Secondly, it doesn't metabolize in our body. So we, we get exposed. It hangs around for a couple of weeks, and then it disappears through our urine and through our um, feces. Everything's gone. That's good. And then in the soil, it degrades in a couple of weeks. This is what they tell us, but it's Fantastic. not true. It's not true. None of it is no. true. No, well, it sounds the story of amalgams, I guess, which is, you know, also very, very safe and won't cause any harm whatsoever. Right. <laughs> and, of course, so, the mercury and aluminum in vaccines as well is perfectly safe. I mean, we really live in a very strange world in which there are very active research groups who are working hard to find all the ways in which these things are toxic. And then there's this 
there's this media message that they're perfectly safe and it just is very, very uh, distorted world view. I mean, it's very hard for people to understand what's going on. Certainly hard for me to understand what's going on, that the government could be so cavalier yeah. about a massive experiment of poisoning uh, everybody in the population and really especially the children are hit very hard and we see so much evidence in their degradation of their health and it just really is frightening the statistics of the number of problems that today's children face in the terms of their health all their food allergies and their asthma and their eczema and of course their autism which i'm very very concerned about adhd depression violent behavior, school shootouts. I mean, all of these things that are going on um, that has somehow become normal. It's like, yes, of course, kids get sick all the time. And it's not true. It's just not true. It shouldn't be true. But because we're being poisoned, we have to face this kind of new reality that is very, very painful to put up with. Well, the world we live in now is a very different world of yesteryear, not just with technology, but with behavior as well. Um, people generally would think it's, it's really the high glucose diets that, you know, which explains the way behavior, of, a lot of behavior of children, for example. I know. We say sugar's toxic and we're comfortable with that idea. Sugar's toxic. Also gluten, you know, wheat's terrible. And lots of people think dairy's really bad. I mean, this is actually not true. The problem is all these things are being poison, are poisoning us. All of them have toxic chemicals in them and it's the chemicals that are far more dangerous than the actual food products. Glucose is actually a very good source of energy. You know, children love candy. I don't want to say that people should eat lots of, sh of sugar. Certainly processed foods are bad. Mm. It's not really food anymore. It's been turned into a, a bunch of chemicals, you know, packaged up in a pretty package. So you need to eat whole foods. Uh, it's really, really important to eat organic whole foods. Uh, it certainly can help to keep you healthy, but even with organic, you're not going to guarantee that you're not being exposed to glyphosate. You'll just have a lot less. Really? Wow. So, okay, back to the very beginning. You gave a, a list, a rapid-fire list of where glyphosate is present. Now, um, can we just go through the list slowly again, please? Because you mentioned a few that really struck me as unusual. Like tampons. <laughs> Yes, well, that, that, that was one that really struck me as unusual. Yes, a cotton um, gauze, sterile cotton gauze. You know, it was a study done in Brazil, and they wanted to, they were actually experimenting. They wanted to have a control sample of regular cotton that they expected to be, to not have glyphosate to compare with some experiments they were going to do where they were going to expose some things to glyphosate. And they were really shocked when they came back with, you know, glyphosate contamination in all of these products that they did not expect. And I wonder about babies' diapers, for example, pam pam pampers, oh, you know. Goodness. And certainly tampons is a really frightening thought. And we have an epidemic, really, I believe, in breast cancer among premenopausal women. It makes me mm -hmm. wonder whether it might be connected to that because glyphosate is estrogenic. And, of course, that's there was a study on breast tumor cells, uh, breast cancer cells in vitro, where they expose these cells to glyphosate at levels of parts per trillion. Really, really tiny, tiny amounts yes. of glyphosate cause those, those cancer cells to multiply. Wow. Wow. That's, that's scary. Um, also, this, the plain fact that, that the glyphosate was present in the cotton that was then made to make tampons, that cotton would have been quite old. And certainly over the three weeks that they're saying that it's self- I know. It doesn't degrade in two weeks. In fact, they found in certain soils that it can last for years in certain kinds of soil types. So it depends. I mean, you need the right microbes that can break it down. And very few microbes can break it down. 
Okay. And it also goes into the tissues. And Monsanto knows that because they actually measured it in the tissues. They did a, an incredible experiment, actually, with um, bluegill sunfish, where they exposed these sunfish to radio-labeled glyphosate so they could track the radio label. And then they took up the tissue samples and they measured radio labels. So they knew the glyphosate was in the tissues. Then they measured, they did a standard measure for glyphosate and they could only recover 20% of the label as glyphosate. What they did then was they got this brilliant idea of adding enzymes that would break down proteins. And when they did that, they increased the yield to 70%. What this means, and they said it in their paper, is that the, the enzymes broke the proteins down into individual amino acids and that freed up the glyphosate so that they could then see it. Otherwise, they wouldn't see it because it was attached to the other amino acids in the protein. This is very, very dangerous because this means when you measure glyphosate in milk, the proteins in milk or the proteins in wheat, you may not see it unless you actually do this enzymatic uh, breakdown of the protein mm -hmm. first. So people can get by with saying, oh, no, it's not in the gluten, yes. you know, if they don't do the experiment right because right. – it could be tied up in the protein. And that's the part that really terrifies me because if it is getting into proteins, which I certainly think it is, mm. it has an incredible list of effects you can predict that are devastating. And this is where, what keeps me up at night. I mean, I read so many papers now. It's a kind of a fun game to just rummage through the web looking for papers on glycine. Right. And you can find all kinds of research papers. They're really fascinating. And I find new ones every day that'll find some kind of protein in the body that has a particular glycine residue that is absolutely essential for its performance. If that glycine is tweaked just a little bit, replaced by alanine, very small change, the protein is wrecked. I mean, there are examples like that. Mm. So what's happening is glyphosate is randomly going anywhere. I believe this is happening in these proteins. During protein synthesis, the, um, the machinery makes a mistake because glyphosate is a glycine molecule. Glycine is an amino acid. And it's one of those building blocks of proteins. And mm -hmm. they get assembled like beads on a string to make the protein. And there's a code. And so when it sees the code for glycine, it grabs the glyphosate molecule by mistake and puts it in there. This is what I think is happening. And then that messes up the protein. It doesn't work right anymore. Mm -hmm. And it can cause a huge list of diseases. And all those diseases are going up dramatically in step with the dramatic rise in glyphosate usage on core crops. I mean, the, the match is so perfect that I feel very confident that I'm right about this. Okay, what, what, which diseases? Autism, on? Alzheimer's, um, various cancers like pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, liver disease, um, obesity, diabetes, um, ADHD. I mean, pretty much everything I look at, all these gut problems that people are having, it works beautifully for that. The autism, the gut problems associated with autism are really interesting, and they can ex be explained very easily through specific proteins that would be affected by glyphosate substitution for glycine. It's really quite remarkable. Some of those conditions are chronic. Some of them are acute, like um, you know, diabetes is, is, is uh, chronic. But pancreatic cancer, that's a very um, fast cancer. It is a fast cancer, isn't it? Of course, it takes many years. The pancreas gets hit really hard by glyphosate. And part of that is because any, any, uh, any cell that is a secretory cell that secretes proteins is going to get hit hard by glyphosate because it needs to take up amino acids. Yes. in order to assemble those proteins. And glyphosate is an amino acid, so it takes it up on those channels and ends up suck actively importing glyphosate into the cell. And then it puts that glyphosate into its proteins, and then those proteins don't work properly. And in fact, Anthony Samso found glyphosate in trypsin, pepsin, and lipase, which are three major enzymes that are produced by the pancreas and released into the gut to digest the food, to digest the fats, and to digest the proteins. And he measured, he just ordered it from a lab, from, from porcine, porcine, trypsin, pepsin, and lipase from a pig. 
and he found high levels of glyphosate in all three of them. It's contaminated in the protein. And when you look at those proteins, you find out that they have essential glycine dependencies. So they have places in those proteins where it has to be glycine in order for that to, for it to work properly. Gosh. Just a reminder to our online viewers, um, even our Facebook viewers, um, just ask your questions. On Facebook, the questions we related to me online, they can, you can ask directly. I just had a question in from Terry Zufa, Azufa. Sorry if I've said your name incorrectly. Um, Terry asks, do they put it on corn? On corn, yes. Well, GMO Roundup Ready corn, and they pour it all over the corn. And of course, that becomes uh, fr fructose too. High fructose corn syrup comes from corn. That's yeah. going to be contaminated. All the sugars are going to be contaminated. Sugar beets are sprayed right before the harvest. And, and sugar cane is sprayed right before the harvest as a desiccant. And sugar beets are GMO Roundup Ready. Corn is, beets are, and uh, soybeans. Okay, so uh, just, just going a little bit slower because I'm jet lagged. The, you're saying that just before harvesting, they spray. If you can explain, yes. why do they do it just before harvesting? They do that on the wheat as well, and that's why we have an epidemic in gluten intolerance. They spray the wheat with glyphosate right before the harvest. I was shocked when I first read about that. It's becoming a, a wider and wider practice because it's working out very effectively for them. They can synchronize. What happens is it causes... It kills the plant because these things are not Roundup ready, so it kills it. They're intentionally killing it. Mm -hmm. But as it dies, its last gasp, it, it goes to seed, and so it increases the yield. Everything gets synchronized. All the seeds are produced at the same time, mm -hmm. so it increases the yield. It also makes the plant die so quickly that it's easier to get the combine in to clear the residue once you've harvested mm -hmm. the grain. So it makes, it makes harvesting much easier. And also in, in the case of Canada, for example, the winter wheat in Canada, they're often rushing rushing against a snowstorm. So if they're going to have a frost, they might lose their whole crop, but they can get the, get the seed out before the frost by using glyphosate. Okay. Okay, so that's one reason why they spray it, so that it's synchronized. If there's an event that's coming like a snowstorm, they can harvest before that. But also, I guess, because they want to get the next lot of crop growing, don't they? So well, that gives a head start on the weeds. I mean, because actually they're killing the weeds for the next year's crop as well with that same application. Well, why do I get the feeling that we're all just part of an experiment? We're, we're just, we're <laughs> the rats. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, uh, to me, it, the future is really grim. I, I really think we need a revolution. We need to really shut down the factories where glyphosate is being made. And of course, the other chemicals that are being used in agriculture are probably, many of them are considered to be much more toxic than glyphosate. Uh, so we've got a, a toxic chemical soup on our, on our food that is killing us. It, it, glyphosate is a slow kill because of this mechanism of toxicity, which slowly insinuates into the proteins all over your body. And that's how you get, for example, Alzheimer's disease. It takes a long time. But we've got an epidemic in Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is going up exactly like autism exponentially in step with the exponential rise in the use of, of glyphosate on core crops. Mm. And, uh, and it's really fascinating with the Alzheimer's. I can explain it so well because there's this amyloid beta plaque, which is associated with Alzheimer's, just this plaque that builds up in the brain. And uh, that molecule actually has a sequence. It's a GXXX, GXXX, GXXXG sequence. So it's X means wild card. It can be any amino acid. But it has those four glycines that are equally spaced mm -hmm. as, as, as a piece of that protein. 
that has been targeted as the piece of the protein that's the troublemaker. That's the piece that's messing up. Mm. And it's supposed to, the glycines make it turn into an alpha helix and go into the membrane, so it's a transmembrane protein. But if those glycines get substituted by other things, it changes into a beta sheet and it becomes soluble. It goes into the cytoplasm as a beta sheet. It changes its structure, it changes its location, and it becomes toxic. And eventually, if you get too many of these beta guys in the cytoplasm, they, they glom together and they form these interesting beta twists that precipitate out as fibrils. So you get these um, amyloid beta fib fibrils that are characteristic of Alzheimer's disease due to the glyphosate substituting for the glycine in the protein. That also makes it uh, attract uh, metals like aluminum because the glyphosate is negatively charged, oh. so it binds to the aluminum. Okay. And they see the aluminum in this plaque, in this plaque that accumulates in the Alzheimer's brain that has aluminum in it. Mm. That's mm. because the glyphosate has that negative charge and binds to the aluminum. And so Alzheimer's, people say, are due to eating from, are using aluminum cooking utensils like saucepans. Yes. You're saying that's not really the, the cause. You're saying the cause is glyphosate. Well, it's making it much, much worse. I think the okay. aluminum might be able to cause Alzheimer's all by itself. Okay. But the glyphosate is accelerating it. Gosh, it's scary stuff. So really, because it's done on such a grand scale and because it's got such a long life in the environment, there's really nothing we can do about it as consumers. <laughs> I know. Well, I think the really good news is coming from those people who are working on regenerative agriculture. I love those folks. You know, they're um, farmers that are finding out that they can grow food much better getting rid of all the chemical-based agriculture. Don't even use the chemical-based fertilizers. You know, it's completely organic agriculture where it's not just organic, but it's actually working towards making the soil healthier each year than it was the year before, pouring nutrients back into the soil by growing all kinds of different crops, you know, even having so multi-crop. We have this monocrop culture. The way we grow food is completely wrong. Everything's chemical. We use poisons to kill the weeds. Mm. We have a monocrop, so it's all the same crop. There's no variety. We kill off all the microbes in the soil. We kill off, kill off the rhizosphere. You know, we just really, really ruin things. The soil becomes very fragile. The water doesn't hold when it rains, so we get droughts. I mean, everything goes south with the way we're doing agriculture now. But if we can just not only stop using these chemicals, but actually reverse the process and aim towards regenerative agriculture where we are improving the soil every year, mm -hmm. that causes everything else to fall in place. The plants become more resistant to the weeds and to the, and to the insects. I mean, everything works beautifully. It's the complete reverse of what we're doing now. Right. Actually, this is something I want to ask soon, but I've just had a question in from Sharon Peacock. She asks a really good question. Um, she's saying, you know, um, Sharon, I won't, I won't mention who even during the question, but you're asking, uh, could glyphosate be the root cause of fructose malabsorption issues? Absolutely. And I've written about that, actually. It's, a, it's pretty interesting how much glyphosate messes up fructose processing. And I've linked that also to ALS. I have a whole paper on ALS, gly linking glyphosate to ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a terrible disease. You die within five years of, uh, you, you, you know, your muscles become paralyzed. You're, you're, it's the motor neurons that are being destroyed by glyphosate. Mm -hmm. And it begins in the gut. In this paper, we describe that process. And it begins with fructose disruption, disruption of fructose metabolism by the gut microbes due to glyphosate poisoning. Wow. What is the, do you know what a, FO, a, a FODMAP or FODMAP diet is? 
Have you heard that term? Before? I have heard that term, but I don't know what it is. Okay. Okay. Do you? No. Well, um, Sharon is saying that this person has to be on that type of diet. FODMAP. I've heard of it, but I can't remember what it is. Okay. okay. Now, the thing I wanted to ask you before, insects you brought up. If you if you're if you've got some if you've got a, a little patch of land and you're growing vegetables because you want to avoid all the poison you know the poison product that's in the supermarkets and or everywhere will your crops be cross contaminated through insects which love to fly around and do insect things if they land on crop which has had glyphosate sprayed on them because it's not a it's not Oh, glyphosate, does that kill insects as well? You know, yeah. Well, it isn't yeah. supposed to, although it probably does because well, I think it pretty much kills everything. I think it's me. actually a major factor in the bee die-off, the issues we're having with bee colony collapse syndrome. I think glyphosate is a major player. They, they, they talk about the insecticides causing mm. the, the syndrome, but glyphosate is working together with the insecticides to kill off the bees because it disrupts the bees' ability to detoxify other chemicals Glyphosate disrupts cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver. And those are essential for clearing a lot of the poisons that we're exposed to, including drugs that we take. So we can become really sensitive to drugs that are not being properly metabolized, including things like acetaminophen, which is, which is Tylenol. We can become, Tylenol can poison us because glyphosate's messing up our ability to clear it. Gosh. Wow. So um, an insect that lands on a crop that's had glyphosate sprayed on it, or that, that, that will then go into your, your garden because, you know, garden. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I mean, that and does sound was, bad. <laughs> and it spreads the goodness of the glyphosate to your picture. Yes, I mean, this is the thing. I don't know how you avoid it. And, of course, if you're, you're going to be conscientious about not using it in your own yard, but you don't know what your neighbors are doing. Mm, mm, that's you terrible. Know. So, okay, you, know, you, you do meta-study research. Yes. <laughs> so you would have probably gone right back to the very origins when glyphosate first began to be used. Were there reports of health issues in the beginning when they started using Well, they were using it slowly at first. And, of course, it's a subtle kill. That's the thing. It's not um, – it, 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 it's, its method of killing you is very subtle and slow, which is why we haven't been able to connect the dots, I feel. Um, because it takes time for those proteins to all get damaged. You know, it, it will disrupt your gut and people will see that first. Mm. And certainly um, issues with um, inflammatory gut started to become more prevalent uh, when glyphosate was introduced back in 1975, actually is when it was first introduced. But it was okay. really ramped out, up after 1998 when they introduced the GMO Roundup Ready crops. That's when they started really escalating the glyphosate usage. And that's when autism rates started climbing too, you know, and... Um, various gut problems. Um, lots of people have gut issues these days. And, and of course, food allergies as well have been, food, uh, gluten intolerance has gone up uh, in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on wheat, which makes sense because I think glyphosate is the reason why we have an epidemic in gluten intolerance. It totally makes sense because the gluten protein is going to have glyphosate in it and the glyphosate is going to disrupt the ability to digest it. It's going to mess up the digestive enzyme. So the protein doesn't get digested. And then it, it causes inflammatory gut, it causes leaky gut, and those undigested proteins get out into the general circulation. And then the immune cells get very upset about that, and they attack those proteins. They develop antibodies 
And those antibodies become autoantibodies and attack your own tissues through a right. process called molecular mimicry. And that explains a lot of the issues we're having with various autoimmune diseases, which is something that's, there's a whole list of autoimmune diseases that are going up dramatically, including new ones that we don't understand, like chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, is something that is considered to be a fantasy illness and people are just imagining it. And a lot of women are getting very sick with chronic fatigue syndrome, which I think is caused by glyphosate. Sharon Peacock has written back in the, and uh, explained what FODMAP is. It's an acronym uh, referring to, I'm going to try and, try and pronounce it, fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and uh, polyols. Now, you, you probably, wow. you probably yeah. know. You probably know the former of the <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So fermented foods and, and complex sugars, I guess, not eating uh, simple glucose, not eating sugar, but uh, eating more complex sugars that have been fermented already. Fermented foods. I mean, fermented foods are really uh, important in your diet um, to help maintain uh, your gut uh, health. Okay. But if, if, if the fermentation process used... Um, vegetables which have been sprayed, would the fermentation process make it safe? It would. It could help because they, some of those uh, microbes that are in that that are in those that are doing the fermentation uh, can metabolize glyphosate. Oh. So, actually, Acetobacter is one that I really love because that's in uh, apple cider vinegar, Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar, which <laughs> <laughs> I like it's to use in like salad dressing. Yeah, it has um, Acetobacter, which is one of the very few microbes that can actually fully metabolize glyphosate. Do, do all apple ciders have that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, and I don't know whether it has to be, um, you know, y it could be processed to the point where it's killed all the microbes if they've done some kind of processing of the, you know, so unfiltered Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. The, what about cooking of vegetables that have been sprayed? Would, would heat destroy the molecules? In, no, glyphosate does not get destroyed by heat. It's oh, actually kidding. very difficult to kill glyphosate. It's very oh, difficult to break it down. It's an unusual molecule, and it has a, what's called a CP bond. That the, the Only very few microbes know how to break those two apart, the carbon-phosphorus bond in glyphosate, which is an unusual bond. And that's what makes it hard to break it down. In the face of all the research against glyphosate, double-blind studies, peer-reviewed papers, how, how, uh, how can the suppliers respond? How can they possibly continue to stay? It, it's really interesting that there's kind of two worlds out there. You know, there are those independent scientists who are discovering all kinds of horrible things in experimenting with glyphosate. And then there are the, um, the researchers that are involved with industry, you know, who are funded by industry, who manage to come up with papers that show that glyphosate is completely harmless. It's like a disconnect between two different worlds and you don't know who to believe. It's really oh. interesting. I mean, for example, with the rat studies, Monsanto did studies on rats and they did them for three months, exposed to glyphosate at relatively small doses, yes. and they didn't see any damage on the rats. They said glyphosate's safe because it didn't harm these rats. Seralini did, did that study, very similar in design, same kind of rats, um, but they did it for their entire lifetime. 
And after three months, things were looking pretty good. The glyphosate exposed rats didn't really look any statistically significantly different from the ones that weren't exposed. They started to see trouble at four months. And by the end of their life, they had massive tumors, they had reproductive problems, they had a shortened lifespan. I mean, they had lots of issues, but it took time. So what you can do is just cut the study off at three months, which is what they decided actually back when they published these, back when they were doing these studies, they declared that three months was all you needed. If you didn't see anything bad after three months, then you were done. You just could say that chemical was safe. And it's simply not true for glyphosate. It takes time. And that's because it gets into those proteins and slowly messes them up. It takes time. It takes time. Now, if there's, there's a truth that needs to be said, but if it's left for a long period of time, it's going to be more and more expensive to make right, not just in monetary terms, but in human life terms. I know. This is the part that is, to me, really disturbing because I'm seeing the autism rates continue to go up dramatically. And uh, some people, I mean, New Jersey is saying something like, I don't know, one in 30-something kids uh, in New Jersey. That's the highest uh, number in any state. But New Jersey is doing much more careful monitoring than the others. So I suspect their number is more likely to be correct. They keep saying, oh, we're diagnosing it more. We had all those autistic kids back then. We just didn't see them. But, you know, 30% of the autistic kids are nonverbal. You would have noticed a child who couldn't speak. You know, it's not, it's not true that we're simply diagnosing it more. I don't know why we keep on saying that. We want to believe that. And it's simply not true. And I think we're probably diagnosing it less because it's hitting hard on the school system. Every time you get a child diagnosed with autism, that is a huge expense for the school that has to take care of that child. The child would have to be um, cared for and also be on regular medication, right? Well, they do. They, they give them various medications, which I think are probably a bad idea. Now, I actually know that autism can be reversed, and this is something very, very exciting to me. I know practitioners who are reversing autism. It is truly, truly amazing. A child who can be even nonverbal can start speaking. It's really amazing um, with uh, proper treatment, and that always includes a certified organic diet. Okay, and enzymes, I believe. Yes, enzymes, uh, well, pro- probiotics, you know, um, fermented foods, um, sulfur, like Epsom salt baths and methane, chondroitin sulfate. Um, a controversial one is chlorine dioxide, uh, which is, a, I, I know a practitioner who, has, who says that she has reversed over 300 children um, where chlorine dioxide is part of the treatment. It has all these other things as well, but she uses very small amounts of chlorine dioxide, which is... Um, related to bleach and so it's very you have to be very careful with it you know very small amounts mm-hmm. but it's really fascinating that that is helping I'm, I'm trying to figure out why and i think it has to do with disrupted chloride channels um the the cells in the stomach the parietal cells release hydrochloric acid to make the stomach acidic and that hydrochloric that channel it depends on glycine so i think the glyphosate is disrupting the release of hydrochloric acid and is uh cause it. And of course, they're getting a lot of diarrhea. So they're losing a lot of sodium chloride. They're basically, they actually have what I would call a chloride deficiency problem, I suspect. I'm working on trying to figure it out. It's still speculation at this point. But I suspect that there's a in fact, these kids like to drink salt water. I know a mother of an autistic child. She said her child will not drink fresh water. He likes to drink seawater, which is so shocking to me. But he's losing so much sodium chloride through his diarrhea mm-hmm. that he has to replenish it by eating salt water. Gosh. It's really interesting. So chloride, I think chloride deficiency, just like sulfate deficiency, two very, very common 
mm-hmm. um, components right. of our of yeah. our yeah yeah chloride and sulfate. I think they're both deficient, and they're both so common that we don't think they can be deficient, which is interesting. You're saying sulfate and not sulfur, though. Not sulfate S O four minus two, but okay. that's also sulfur. I mean, sulfur is deficient, and then sulfate's deficient as well. Okay. So if you hate, if you consume sulfur as a supplement, it's not going to help in the sulfate deficiency. Well, you, you hope it will. What, unfortunately, glyphosate can mess up your body's ability to make sulfate, oh, and this can cause a sulfur sensitivity. So you see people who say, oh, I can't eat sulfur-containing foods. I can't eat garlic. You know, It upsets my, my gut, and that's because their, their gut microbes are producing um, hydrogen sulfide gas uh, instead of sulfate because of disruption of the sulfate synthesis pathway by the glyphosate. This is what I think is happening. It's actually interesting. I, there's, a whole, there's a study on E. coli that talks about all these enzymes that are suppressed by glyphosate. And the one that's most suppressed is one that uh, takes up taurine. Uh, it's a taurine transporter. And there's lots of things related to taurine that are suppressed. The, the microbes in the gut can turn taurine into sulfate. We can't, but our microbes can, and they do that. When you feed them, when you feed a person taurine, the sulfate shows up mm. uh, from the microbes, and so they can't make that sulfate because the glyphosate is disrupting them. And that's just one example of how you get uh, issues with sulfur. At the same time as you're not making enough sulfate, you're turning sulfur into hydrogen sulfide gas, which can be toxic if there's too much. So that's a mess. I mean, you you, you have sulfur deficiency, but you can't really fix the problem without causing gut problems. Unless you fix the glyphosate, you have to get rid of the glyphosate. That's the first thing you have to do. It's, it's a snowballing thing, isn't it? It's, like yes. <laughs> it's like a problem that starts simple and then it just gets worse and worse as, as things go, you know, other problems will attach themselves. Yeah, um, it's just a complete cascade. It's really quite remarkable how, <laughs> how badly it goes. Uh, one of the things I've realized is I've been looking at myosin. Myosin is a muscle protein. It's a contractile protein in the muscles that creates muscle movement. It's the most common protein in your skeletal muscles. And I suspect that myosin disruption is causing is a factor in chronic fatigue syndrome where these women just feel so exhausted and their muscles just can they can hardly move. You know, they just, their muscles are just like sort of semi-paralyzed, just not working well. And it turns out myosin has 14 highly conserved glycine residues in it. And there was an experiment on one of them, the one at position 699, where they replaced it with alanine, one extra methyl group. And the muscle, that mu- muscle fiber, that, that, that molecule could only contract at 1% capacity. It ruined it basically from, nine, mm-hmm. from 100% to 1% capacity to contract based on that one change. So this is where you think about glyphosate randomly inserting into these myosin mm-hmm. mo- molecules it's going to mess up the, the ability of the muscle to contract. And I think that's what's causing a paralytic gut in association with autism. I, I heard a wonderful talk at Autism One just last month by a guy named Arthur Krigsman. Really wonderful talk. And he's an expert on, on the uh, autism gut. And he's got devices. He's got these pill cams that you can put in and take pictures and stuff. And he showed a, a lot of these pictures. But he talked about how the autistic child has a, has a constipation problem that's not not what you'd expect. It's not because something is blocking. It's not like there's a hard, you know, something in there that's blocking. It's actually all quite soft, but it piles up because they can't get it out. They can't contract the gut. They can't contract and you do the peristalsis that would push it out. So it all piles up and it can pile up for four or five days. 
And then finally they get enough water in there and the whole thing comes out in this huge uh, diarrhea episode. Apparently that's sort of how it goes with these kids. And it's because I think the myosin in the, in the, in the uh, gut is being paralyzed by glyphosate. And in fact, a, a study, there was a, um, a, a paper I found on a woman who tried to kill herself by drinking a glyphosate-based formulation and almost succeeded. I mean, she survived and they wrote about it. And one of the things they said was that her gut was paralyzed by that glyphosate. So she got a huge dose and uh, her gut was paralyzed. So I think that's what's going on there. And the myosin in the um, gallbladder is going to be a problem too, because that's going to prevent the gallbladder from being able to release bile acids. And, and the low bile acids is another factor that they see in these autistic kids. They have reduced bile acids. They have this uh, problem with peristalsis and they have this kind of episodes of constipation and diarrhea. It all makes sense. Just mm. based on the myosin alone, it makes sense. Gosh. Is there anything that you can add when you prepare the vegetables to reduce the effects <laughs> of this? Um, yeah. yeah, well, um, there are some products coming out um, that, are, that claim to be able to help clear glyphosate. And I, I'm not sure how well they work, but there's even some experiments that are being done that are showing that they're effective. Um, one of them is called um, Restore for Life, Restore for Life. Um, and um, one is called Biomedic, um, Biomedic, which is produced by Purium. It's a product. And there's a third one too, but I forgot its name. But these are coming out now. People are, are coming up with products and they're based on um, you know, probiotics, uh, humic acid and fulvic acid, fulvic acid, which are organic matter from the soil and minerals, because minerals get depleted by glyphosate. Glyphosate is a major mineral, mineral chelator and it makes the minerals unavailable. So you get mineral deficiency. So some of these have minerals in them, probiotics, um, organic matter from the soil, that sort of thing. Which um, and I and there was a study on cows that included uh, uh, sauerkraut juice, which was interesting. Sauerkraut juice, which I think is connected to the apple cider vinegar. That's the acetobacter. Yes, yes. And and they showed uh, they used sauerkraut juice and they used the fulvic acid and humic acid and I think uh, bentonite clay. So these are things that can kind of bind to the glyphosate and help to push it out. Uh, they claim, and uh, I hope it's true, you know? Yes. Terry's asked the question that we're talking about at the moment. Um, Terry uh, Zufa is asking, how do you get rid of the um, glyphosate that's in your body? And we're sort of discussing that now. So it's yes. perfect, time, perfect timing, Terry. <laughs> oh, that's great. We answered the question. <laughs> well, we did. we did. It must have been as you're typing, Terry. Um, okay, so there are this, um, is, are these like in tablet forms? You eat the tablets like half an hour before um, you meal. Yeah, Restore for Life is a liquid. You just drop a few drops in your, in your water. I've tried it and, and it's practically, it's really tasteless. I didn't notice it at all. Just put a little okay. few drops in your, in your water. Um, and the, uh, I think the um, Biomedic comes in, in a little capsule. Okay. Actually, that could work out. Um, the water one would be quite good because you just, you know, you, have, you, you carry, you, you'd have a large flask that you sort of drink during the course of the day and you just have a few drops in that. And then yeah, it's really very easy to take. Okay. So, uh, we must see whether we can, we can find that product. Yeah. So thank you for that. Is Apparently it's selling very well. I know the person and he's actually very enthusiastic about um, the idea of glyphosate substituting for glycine and he wants to do experiments to... Uh, figure that out. So I'm hoping that, you know, just try to get some evidence. 
some more harder evidence. Okay, so his product doesn't fully negate the effects that glyphosate has on your body, is it? It's just one one part, one of the things that it... Yeah, I mean, it just helps remove it, but it's very, very difficult to get it out once it's in your proteins, especially once it's in your proteins in your brain. I mean, it's just oh. extremely difficult to get it out. I don't know how to do that. Gosh. I wonder if you can add a few drops into your bath. Now, Debbie... <laughs> well, that's actually... wasn't my idea. It's Debbie um, Nowick. She's just given... Um, given this, you know, well, she's talking about ionic foot baths. But yes, that, I've heard about that, and actually I think that's really cool. So that Yeah, be, because negative charge. Ah. Yeah, negative charge is really important, and, I, and that's one of the things that the sulfate does for you. Sulfate holds negative charge. Um, it's all over your blood supply. We talked about that last time. Yes. And, um, and sulfate's deficient, so that means negative charge is deficient, I feel, I believe. Um, so a foot bath could draw it out. Even though it's yeah, apparently it, the electricity can just sort of travel into your body from the um, very. It's a very um, very low current, as I understand it. I hope I got that right. <laughs> in the water that your feet are soaking in. Yes. It's very interesting, and so, of course, a grounding pad pad is another thing that I recommend. You can put that on your bed so that you'll be grounded because the if the earth itself provides negative charge. So if you walk barefoot on the beach, which I love to do. That's very uh, healthy, especially in the water, because the water is a really good conductor. You can get the negative charge that way as well. But you know, in modern society, one's living in high-rise apartments. I know. <laughs> you're, you're quite distant from the ground. Yes. Your, your electrical potential could be hundreds of volts, and you wouldn't know. In fact, you know, almost certainly it is. And you've got no way of knowing right. who's nearby, because um, you know they're in large cities and they just don't have them <laughs> most places don't anyway right i know Gosh, and of course walking barefoot on the sidewalk is a little bit <laughs> in a city you're going to look like you're some kind of a homeless waif or something right it's well, not common for them to do that the bonus but um also the, the you know you step on some glass because mm -hmm. there's all kinds of stuff you could be a lot of stuff to harm step on that you might regret later yeah <laughs> okay so um uh, Hans Lenz is asking, uh, considering that apple cider is one of the main, is, is, is a popular product, um, how much um, should you consume in a day? And is there yeah. a way of taking it? I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. I try to eat foods. We, we've been, you know, we, we cook things like um, we make a, um, um, cabbage, um, sweet and sour cabbage uh, with, with that. And we make a salad. We like, we have salad very frequently. We make our own salad dressing. We put oh, the apple cider vinegar in there. It's really mm -hmm. easy to just put it into the salad dressing, you know, along with some olive oil and um, use that uh, to start your meal. Yes. Um, so some people actually take it. I, I don't, but some people can just sort of take a teaspoon of it, but I, I don't do that. Okay. So, so from what you've heard from the other people that you know, they generally just take a teaspoon or a tablespoon of the apple cider with water, presumably. Yeah, I don't know whether you just uh, whether you can just eat it <laughs> or whether you okay. put it in some water, make it a little bit acid, you know. I haven't, um, Hans. I haven't had an experience myself with apple cider. Um, there, you can you can purchase apple cider in a drinkable, you know, form. The vinegar, the apple cider vinegar. And there's also, of course, there's the, um, the spiked apple cider that has alcohol content, right? <laughs> we might think about that. <laughs> That's probably good for you too, I imagine, if it's organic. Yeah, well, yeah. 
but um, uh, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's not normally very strong. But I mean, cider is you know is a vinegar, so it's going to be very acidic. So I guess you wouldn't want to consume too much. Maybe um, one of our online people can teach us a thing or two about it. What sort of you know what sort of quantity one one should drink of apple cider? I heard one person that drank too much, and they. It did damage to the esophagus, which is the... Interesting, because it was too acidic, huh? So you do have to be careful. But I'm not sure what the quantities were. I I Mm. skim read it. Okay, and um, Debbie Nowak is um, saying, um, uh, is there a way... I think she's asking, is there, um, as she's stating, that there are tablets of apple cider vinegar. I wouldn't have thought that. It is interesting. I thought the capsules would be destroyed. The gelatine on the outside would be destroyed. Lifted vinegar. <laughs> acid. Well, Apparently not. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Hmm. Is it, um, Everything can come in a tablet, I guess. <laughs> well, look, you can't get it in powder form because, I mean, it is, it's, you can't just do that. Yeah, it must be. Maybe there's a liquid inside the capsule. I don't know. It is unusual, isn't it? Very interesting. Yeah. So if anyone can enlighten us of how of the dosage of this mm. uh, wonder drug called apple cider vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know it's healthy. I know lots of people that say it's great for dieting, for losing mm-hmm. weight. Why would it be good for losing weight? Just we'll do a bit of a, a curveball here, and then we'll get back on. Well, maybe because it clears glyphosate, because glyphosate <laughs> causes obesity. I really think so. Oh, that's really so. That's yeah. Gosh, and then and that creates another market, doesn't it? Because then you've got the weight loss um, drugs. Yes. So that's a perfect really glyphosate. This will be why they're not hammering it. Why they're not sort of exposing it for what it is? Because it has spawned. Mm-hmm. other industries well there's a huge money market i mean there's just a huge amount of money being spent on drugs that are trying to cope with all these problems one of them of course is um the opioid drug epidemic i think glyphosate is causing that as well so which drug? opioid op- opioid drug epidemic opioid. uh you don't know about that people dying in record numbers from overdoses of opioid drugs there's oh, prescription oh. opioids mm-hmm. that have mm-hmm. they claimed they were not addictive but then they are it turns out they are many people are getting addicted and people are dying in, in, in more and more each year. It's a it's a crisis. It, there's it's been in, in the news. It's been in uh, buzz in the media recently. Um, but I think it's uh, connected to glyphosate because glyphosate collagen is the uh, most common protein in the body. Twenty five percent of the body's protein is collagen molecules. Yes. Collagen has this beautiful triple helix structure that depends upon glycines at every third residue. So it's GXY, 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 every third residue is a glycine So in that, in that segment. So overall, the molecule has like 25% of the amino acids in collagen are glycine residues. It's a huge amount of glycine. So the co- glyphosate has a tremendous opportunity to get into collagen and cause trouble, mess up that alpha helix formation, and then cause uh, damage to the bones and joints that's gonna cause joint pain. Um, Part of the issue, I think, with back pain, uh, that we have an epidemic in back pain. And uh, so people are taking opioid drugs to cope with pain. Yeah. I and then they're William, getting addicted. I hope William Wong is watching the summer. He was our last expert we had in line. And, and it's sort of, you are aligning with him with, with a lot of things that you're stating here. Hmm. Um, when we go to the doctor now, one of the first questions they ask is, what medication are you on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, you know, years ago, they wouldn't have asked that question. 
But yes. now if you, if you say I'm not taking any regular medication, they look at you sideways, come on, man, you've got to be, you gotta be kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is, one of the, this is the really wonderful thing about glyphosate is it actually kept so many people, you know, mm-hmm. you know it's developed so many industries, health-related industries, because now you've got massive amounts of autism, the chronic diseases, the acute diseases, which all yes. need to be managed and controlled. Right. So they've handed out all these drugs that you're taking to try to uh, mess around with the, with the molecules to try to straighten them out. And you're not really doing anything good with the drugs, I think. I think most of the drugs are not working. Unless you get to the bottom of the problem, which is to get rid of the glyphosate, you know, you're not going to fix it by putting a Band-Aid on them like that. That's sad. That's beyond... Um... Yeah, it's beyond. From this is my my where I can't really truly understand it. How can a person decide knowingly, knowing the facts, still decide to continue selling a product if they didn't know in the beginning? I know. I mean, I agree with you. If I just can't picture being that person who is yes. uh, responsible for marketing this product yes. and knowing how toxic it is yes. to just keep on doing it. I just can't imagine being that person. I mean, once you know, it just feels like you would just feel so bad about what you're doing to, to the world that you would quit. And you would even become a spokesperson against it, you know, to really speak out. But apparently, m- money seems to have a lot of power and people are happy to keep on you know, it's working really well for the medical industry. The medical industry is doing incredibly well. There's so much growth uh, every year. It's probably boosting our economy, you know, which is spending so much money, struggling with all these illnesses. And it's, it's not a pleasant way to live, you know? No. I think it's looking at things in the wrong way because people that are chronically sick are not productive. And people that are productive return to society in, in many ways maybe not fully financial, but you know, it is financial and, and, and also and looking after the elderly and all the rest of it. They're more, they're more able to um, produce products. For, you know, if a country is full of sick people. I know. It seems like to me it can't work. You know, this, it's going to reach a point where anybody who's still healthy has to spend all their time caring for the sick people. I think it's just going to be, that's all we're going to do, you know. <laughs> We don't have to spend a lot of time growing food. We just go buy all that horrible food and eat it and get sick. And then we spend all our time taking care of sick people instead, you know. I love the way that you've turned your studies around. You've had formal education. You're a true scientist. But now you're looking more to humanity (laughs) rather than just numbers and and just rather than just pure science. I think it's really amazing. I wanted to just sort of slip something in. It's not glyphosate. I really wanted to hear your take. Maybe we can have you up on a third time talking about, um, talking about this, but um, fluoridation. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I, I know you know something about it. Now, yes. Your take on that because it's... Well, it's another story that's just really sad. And I wonder how often it's a situation where they've got a problem that they're trying to fix with a toxic chemical, and they come up with a really ingenious, demonic way to fix it, which is what's happened with fluoride, because fluoride is a very toxic product of the phosphate fertilizer industry. So this also gets back to the chemical-based agriculture. So the phosphate fertilizer plants produce this fluoride byproduct that's very, very toxic. 
And it was killing the cows next door to the plant. You know, it was very clear that it was toxic. And somebody got the brilliant idea of diluting it and spreading it out over all the water supply of the entire country to get rid of it. You know, it's really a mechanism to get rid of something that's otherwise going to be a problem as a, as a toxic chemical. You get rid of it by poisoning everybody in the, in the population by a small amount is basically what you're doing. And then you pretend that it's good for them. Right, like canola oil. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it's pretty amazing. Fluoride is, is very reactive. Um, and, of course, it messes up iodide. Um, and it, uh, it binds with aluminum to make something that looks like phosphate. And then it causes, I suspect it's causing antiphospholipid syndrome because it, it creates these monster molecules that have a, aluminum fluoride instead of phosphate that then the immune cells don't like and, they, and they get, you get an autoimmune attack. I suspect on um, these monster molecules that are created by aluminum and fluoride working together. Gosh, so we we are the dumping ground for industry, where they can't, you know, they're trying to find a home for this waste. <laughs> oh, and if we would just not do agriculture that way, we wouldn't have the, the toxic product to begin with. If we were not using phosphate fertilizers, you know, those are not natural the, the whole way we do the agriculture is not natural not just all the chemicals that we use to poison all the pests but also the chemicals that we use to provide nutrients to the plants you know we have the nitrate and the phosphate fertilizers but there's so much more to an organic fertilizer the complexity of that and all the other things that are in there are really important for the long-term health of the plant and the soil you know and we're just not doing that anymore we're just using this nitrate phosphate fertilizers that are causing all kinds of troubles too. So it's yeah, I've got two. I've got two questions for the um, for the fluoridation side. The first one is: um, Is it true that it makes your bones and your teeth strong? No. Okay. 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 No, it actually weakens them. And the second one is: I wanted. Uh, there, there are some researchers that think that fluoridation makes people more agreeable more agreeable it, and dumbs them down slightly <laughs> it may dumb them down really? <laughs> but i don't know about making them more agreeable well and, and less resistant to come uh, policies that are presented now there's an idea right make them so they're, they're less um well, willing to stand up for their rights well, more more com compliant mm, mm. with regulate regulatory action and things like that that's right but if, if someone's um it, it, would it reduce someone's intelligence the effect it would it would definitely in fact uh, i think there was an experiment that was done in canada with if i've got this right i mean i have this quite right but it was like they did an experiment in two different places in canada with the uh, mice and they had the entire experiment was reproduced in both places exactly the same but the results didn't come out the same at all and they couldn't figure out why and eventually they traced it to fluoride the experiment had nothing to do with fluoride <laughs> But it turned out that one group of rats was getting lots of fluoride in their water and the other one wasn't. And that was the difference that wow. created the discrepancies between the two experiments. It's really fascinating. And so the ones that drank fluoridated water I weren't quite as smart as the other Right, that was dumbing them down. <laughs> oh, my so. goodness. Would it pass down through generations as well? If you're pregnant, would your child um, have... Uh, uh, I don't child? know. Yeah, I mean, that things do pass down for sure. It's uh, epigenetics, you know, there's a lot going on with epigenetics that we don't really understand. How about um, glyphosate? Would that, would that also pass down? 
I think so. I mean, I suspect that we're going to get, uh, you know, more, less and less fertile. I think we've already got issues with fertility. And I think glyphosate is a major player there as well. Uh, the sperm are really, uh, well, of course, motility, sperm motility, which depends upon um, not myosin, but other motor, motor molecules that are glycine dependent. So it's possible that the sperm motility is getting messed up by the glyphosate in the same way as the gut motility is. So if, the, if that is the fact, isn't that another good reason why glyphosate should be a good thing for a country to use? <laughs> if we're hoping to reduce our population, I think we're going to succeed quite well. Because that's where we're hearing, we keep on hearing that we've got, you know, we're going to be overpopulated, unable to feed the world. I know. know. I mean, that's a good, it's a sort of funny kind of good side to poisoning ourselves is that it's going to cause us to be infertile. Gosh, it's so scary. Now, I've got an interesting message from Maureen Mancha, which is more towards the topic which we're supposed to be discussing today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Now, Maureen, she's asking, would ozonating, vegetables or washing in ozonated water before cooking get rid of uh, uh, glyphosate? Glyphosate. I, I don't think so, no. Okay. Because it's just on the although, surface. Although I did find an article that talked about um, chlorine dioxide uh, metabolizing glyphosate, breaking it down, okay. non-enzymatically, chlorine dioxide. Which, and ozone, actually, I take it back. I think that same article was talking about ozone and chlorine dioxide being able to break down glyphosate. Mm, because quite a few people have got ozone generators now. Yeah, that's interesting. It might actually work. Would it only get the surface molecules broken down? or would it? Yeah, it would, probably wouldn't break down the proteins that have the glyphosate in yeah. them. Yeah, but but anything's better than nothing, I suppose. Yes, I think so. That could well be. That's very interesting to think about, uh, ozone treatment of yeah. water to get rid of glyphosate. That could work. And, and, and through extension, if, if that does, if it is beneficial, then people that drink ozonated water would also gain benefit. Yes, I think that's very, very interesting. That and may the, be one of the big benefits of that. What I noticed when I when my um, ozone generator was working, <laughs> I'm working. I'm trying to fix it at the moment. Um, is that I I lost weight very quickly. I was on a diet, so it's desirable. Mm. And you're linking glyphosate to weight gain. Yes. Probably through the interruption of the metabolism, the breaking down of the foods, and that. Well, the lipase, yeah, lipase was shown to be contaminated with glyphosate by Anthony, and lipase digests fats, so you basically can't break down the fat, so you store them. Right, so that's that's, a, that's an immediate thing that would happen quite quickly then, because mm-hmm. I found that the effect was quite fast. So that that sort of explains, it could explain why I found it so effective. I mean, it's it's either that or my metabolism went up, which I don't really. I mean, maybe. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. And the ozone, did you say the ozone actually caused you to lose weight? Drinking, what I was doing, while I was boiling my egg in the morning, I loved eating duck eggs. And so I I boiling my duck egg and I'd I'd start the bubbler going for the ozone and then they both sort of stop at about the same time. Uh (laughs) Good. And it just worked out. It was was wonderful while it was working. And And um, it broke. (laughs) You better get a new one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, what I've done, I've, I've gutted it out and um, put uh, more industrial size components in this. It's probably going to overheat because it's about 10 times the rating of the previous one. 
But if it does, it's no great loss. At that stage, I will buy a new one. Something's been properly designed, but that's all good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the talk today, Stephanie. It's um, I knew glyphosate, glyphosate was bad. I knew a lot of the things that you said, but you opened my eyes really to just how um, entrenched into our foods yes. and other products it is, and particularly like cottons, and so it, can, it may be even clothing because yes. it's such a long life. Right. It's really disturbing to think about. And, and we don't know enough. I mean, we haven't measured enough. The government is being very um, irresponsible in not telling us, not even finding out themselves how much is, how big the problem is. I wonder if all countries have danced to this tune or whether some have stood strong and decided to stand. We're among, we're among the most uh, generous with respect to allowing glyphosate. We have the highest, you know, levels that we allow in things. We allow much more glyphosate in water than uh, Europe does, for example. Okay. And uh, Canada is a little bit, uh, I think, more restrictive than we are. We're pretty much, I think, the worst uh, in the world in terms of the amount that we allow in the food. And, of course, we use most, too. We use a huge amount in this country compared to other countries. We love glyphosate in this country. And we have by far the highest health care costs of any country in the world. I think it's a direct link. I try and end these summers on a positive note. <laughs> you know that, don't you, Stephanie? I know. That was bad, wasn't it? Yeah, it oh, was. I, I love so these. Now, now, now you're going to have to say something to... <laughs> Regenerative agriculture and then buy organic food, vote with your pocketbook. I think that's so important. Do you see a change? Do you think that there will be a time when um, politicians pull the plug do you think the, the, the tide of change? It's really amazing how entrenched uh, the, the message is in the political machinery to, to keep glyphosate going. It's really, really amazing. I, I am so frustrated by that. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll provide the positive final statement. <laughs> I keep on getting negative, don't I? <laughs> you do. Well, you do, you do. Uh, you know, last, last time I had you on, it was quite a little bit negative as well, and I thought, oh, you <laughs> I'll, I'll make an attempt at saving the summer by saying that, yes, industry is powerful, and um, you know the you know politicians and regulations are powerful as well. But people should also understand the power of us, and yes. if, if enough of us stand together and step forwards, we can make the change. We can, and there's more of us than there are of them. There are more, many more of us than there yes. are of them. So we can stand up to them. We can, we can vote with our pocketbook, and we, can, and we can apply pressure for the farmers to grow organic food. I mean, the hope would be that it becomes more cost-effective. The farmers start switching. First of all, they'll all start getting sick because they're getting exposed to the chemicals, and then they'll, the farmers will start changing in droves. They'll start moving towards organic food production. That could be the hope because of consumer demand. That's the positive. That's the positive spin. So strength in numbers. But um, people watching this video, if you can start talking to your friends, um, you've now had it from an expert. Um, the dangers, well, it's not the dangers. It's, the, it's what is going to happen. <laughs> you know, not what might happen. It is going to happen, and it is happening. So talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. Um, let them be aware. Maybe show them this video. And 
and with the strength in numbers, you know, vote yes. <laughs> the right way and try and get this poison out of our environment. Yeah. That's the that's, that's that's a good one, isn't it? That's a good positive spin. Okay, we'll we'll pull the plug yes. on this. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on and you know teaching us again a thing or two. Thank Very, you, thank you for having me, and I really hope people will listen and receive the message and spread the message. Thank you. Okay, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye, bye, Stephanie. Mm-hmm.